0: If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Grief and Rebirth Podcast, whose mission is to educate, enlighten, and provide healing choices through interviews with grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums and people who have inspiring stories to share. I'm Irene Weinberg, your host and the creator of Grief and Rebirth podcast, with a loving reminder that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on ireneweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Many of us are seeking healthy, positive ways to handle our lives during the coronavirus pandemic facing all of us. I am beyond delighted to introduce you to Diane Lang, an inspiring and special woman who is ideally suited to guide us regarding emotional tools that we can use right now to help make our lives easier during this difficult, often overwhelming time. Diane is a practicing therapist, national speaker, educator, and certified positive psychology coach who has her master's degree in counseling and is an adjunct in psychology at Montclair State University. She has written three books and has been featured in various publications on TV and on internet shows. Diane speaks on various mental and emotional health topics, including happiness, resiliency, Stress management, sorry, stress management, parenting, and technology, bullying, anxiety, and depression in both teens and adults. She also specializes in positive psychology, positive education, and positive parenting. Thousands of individuals have benefited from Diane's motivational and educational speaking, trainings, and coaching. Her hands on approach along with her background, education, and experience, has proven to be beneficial to all who attend her presentations. I've been a fan of Diane and the wonderful work she is doing to help people for quite some time, so it is truly with pleasure and gratitude that I am interviewing Diane on Grief and Rebirth podcast today. Diane, welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast, whose mission resonates with your life's work which is to help people grow and transform from change and loss to healing and transformation. Let's begin what is going to be a very special Feel Better interview with this question. Please share your own personal experiences with grief and rebirth that motivated you to pursue a career dedicated to helping people turn their lives around by developing a
1: sustainable, positive attitude. Hi, Irene. I just want to say thank you for having me on the show. Uh, It's been a real pleasure to be here. So it's a great first question. So I have a few reasons why I've gone into this field. Uh, First one was coming from a childhood where it was, you know, to put it very simply, just didn't have any love. And I was raised that way, didn't feel loved, didn't have love. I wasn't wanted. And that really kind of pushed me into the field because as I got older, I realized I didn't want anybody to ever feel as bad as I felt. And, you know, when you have felt bad about yourself, when you felt insecure, um, when you have felt unloved, the last thing you want is for anybody else to feel that pain and suffering. So that really kind of pushed me into the field. And then about seven, eight years ago, I got really sick. I have an illness that I have third degree burns on my throat and it came out of nowhere. I had no clue that it was happening until one day I was doing a speaking event, and all of a sudden, I just couldn't swallow anymore, and I went to the doctor the next day thinking I had strep or something was wrong. It turned into two months later, I lost 28 pounds. I couldn't even swallow water, and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. For a while, they thought it was ALS. They thought it was the beginning of ALS, and that's one of the most horrible ways to you know, pass on. I was in a really bad state of depression through all this because I couldn't swallow, I couldn't eat, I could barely drink water. It it's like you were dying. My, yes, and it affected my career. I didn't even have my career because I speak for a living. So I decided to use all the tools that I've been using as a therapist and a coach for the last 20 years on myself, which is, you know, you know how some of us are just like doctors, they'll tell you to eat healthy, then they go have a brownie. As a therapist, a coach, we help others, but it's so hard to help ourselves. But I finally decided I was really going to use the tips and tools of positive psychology because I really, if I only had a few years left and it ended up being ALS, I wanted to enjoy them. I wanted them to be the best they could be. Thankfully, it is not that. And I have a very weird illness. It's called LPR. And basically I have third degree burns on my throat and it took over a year before I could actually really even eat a meal. And now seven, eight years later, thankfully I'm doing the best that I can. It's an incurable illness. It's precancerous. I have to be very careful. I'm on a very strict diet, but I really am in the best place I've ever been in my whole life. And I know that it's all the tips and tools that I'm going to go over today that not only cultivate happiness, but cultivate mindfulness, which reduces stress. And I also know that using these tips and tools and making the changes made me have what we call post-traumatic growth, where I was able to take all the tips and tools, make changes in myself, but not only make the changes in myself, but take those changes to help others. And that kind of combination of helping yourself and helping others is like a recipe for success, recipe for growth. And we're all going to go through traumas and tragedies and illness and injuries and loss in life, because you know life is roller coaster ride. It's going to have its ups and downs. So the you know, the quicker we learn how to handle them, the easier life will be. And you know, change is the only constant in the world, as you know, Irene. you know, there's nothing we can do about it, and the more we resist it. The more we stop and fight it, the more stress we add. And as we know, stress lowers the immune system, which is the last thing we want, you know, especially in our current reality with the coronavirus. Really want to make sure that our immune system and our health mentally, physically and emotionally is in, it's at its best. So I'm really excited to be here and share these tips and tools that I use on a daily basis, that I have my clients use and that I teach. So thank you again for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome.
0: You know, I always like to say the only thing that doesn't change in life is that everything changes. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's the truth. So this is not only a primer for getting through the the this pandemic, but life after yeah. the pandemic. Uh, and so that leads me to asking you, it's always a challenge to cope with change and loss. And now that challenges exacerbated by the orders to stay at home and socially distance ourselves from others. How best can each of us cope with
1: change and loss, Diane? Well, one of the things I want to talk about with the pandemic is we keep talking about social isolation, right? You know, staying home, having social distance, social isolation. I want to change the wording. And we know what we, you know, how we speak, what we think about in our heads affects us, right? And when we say social distance and we say social isolation, it brings up a lot of anxiety because the number one factor of happiness is socialization. And the number one factor for depression outside of mental illness is loneliness and isolation. So Mm -hmm. to think that we're telling people to socially isolate and distance is very scary. But this is the bottom line on that. It's really about physical. We want you to be physically distant from people. We want you to have the six feet space. We want you to physically stay in an area that you're, you know, safe and healthy and away from people. That doesn't mean that you need to not be socially active. We still want you to get that socialization. It might look different. It might feel different. But it's so important, especially in a time like this, that we have it. Because, you know, one of the things to think of is you can't breathe, you can't heal, and you can't forgive or work through anything without support. And support is part of socialization. You know, socialization includes a few different factors. So it includes community, having a strong sense of community, whatever that community looks like. It could be your neighborhood. It could be your family. It could be a book club. It could be your work. It doesn't matter what, but we need that community. We need to have self-care and fun. And we also need to have support. That is the three main factors of socialization. So when you think about all of, you know, what we're talking about in the news and the distance, I want you to think about that's physical distance. That's physical, you know, isolation, staying in your house. It doesn't mean that you can't socialize by phone, you know, old fashioned hearing each other on, you know, the phone and hearing our voice. It doesn't mean that you need to isolate in your room away from your family, the people who are home already and healthy. I don't want you isolating. And we worry about that because even though there might be three or four or five people in the house, if everybody goes to separate rooms, they're still isolating and we still need that community and support. So I don't want you to socially isolate, whether it's using the phone, whether it's using Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or whatever technology you want. Now, social media is kind of a catch-22. Social media is great because you can connect and that makes us feel part of a community and there's some really great online communities but I really want you to think about how much time you're spending on social media and asking yourself is social media healthy for me because for a lot of my clients, you know, going through the current reality that we're in, not just the coronavirus, but also the economy, losing jobs, working from home, all of the different change and loss that we're going through. Social media could be a real big negative because there is a lot of real anxiety, negativity, fear, all, you know, all scrolling down, whether it's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it doesn't matter what social media you're on. So you want to ask yourself this question, is social media toxic for me? Am I getting off feeling worse about myself? Or am I going on there and feeling a sense of community? If you know there are certain communities on there that work for you, stay on those, but it doesn't mean you have to scroll through watch how much time, because again, we can binge. And that's what our fear was with social media, right? That we would binge and we'd have those addictive traits. You know, I'd get on and onto social media and I think I would be on for 10 minutes. Next thing I know it's an hour or two. And then when I get off, I feel that guilt. That's the addiction kind of, you know, vicious cycle, which we don't want to do as well, because that could be an unhealthy way of coping with change or loss, you know, having too much binging of social media or too much binging of, TV and video games and Netflix. So you want to ask yourself this question: is social media good or bad for me? Or are there specific areas that are good that I need that community? Then you want to ask yourself, yes, I'm home and safe and healthy with my family or you know friends, whoever you live with, but am I isolating within my own house? And are you still getting enough socialization in? And again, even if that's by phone, even if that's by Skype or Zoom. We still need to have that. And one important piece to remember with this, support, as we said, is so important for healing, for grieving, for forgiving, you know, all of those things. And we can't do that without support. So you want to ask yourself this question too, what is my support system? And that's an important question, not only for now, but for everything else that we're going to go through. Because again, as Irene said, change is a constant. We're going to go through ups and downs. It's going to be a roller coaster ride, and you're going to have other challenges in life. And you want to know who your support system is, and this is the key factor for support. Because I put it on vibrate, and it didn't work. I'm so sorry. Not a problem. We're all human; it happens. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, it hasn't rang, of course, until I get on with you. All right. So the support system. The thing to think about is a support system needs to be people that you love and who love you. And the key word is unconditionally. And unconditionally means not that you take people who treat you bad or that you stay in relationships that are not healthy for you. Unconditional means telling the truth, being honest, letting somebody know when they're doing things that are unhealthy for them, but it means they don't abandon you. And that's a key factor because when we're going through a very, you know, Hurtful, fearful, or a crisis kind of time, we need to have people who won't abandon us, but will be truthful and say, hey, you know, that's not healthy. You know, there's other options, or I'm just here for you to listen. And we need that unconditional. So know who those one or two people are, or if not more, depending if, like you said, an extrovert or an introvert, but everybody needs to have at least one or two. You know, for me, I worked as a therapist for traumatic brain injury and spinal injury clients for over 10 years. And One of the biggest factors to how quickly they healed and how smoothly they healed was their support system. When they had a few people who would really be there for them and didn't abandon them, didn't judge them, but would tell them again the brutal honesty of what they needed to do to heal, they did. And when the people didn't have anybody, you could see such a difference. And we know that for any type of loss and loss can be anything from, you know, losing a job like you might be right now, losing your business, um, losing the ability to go outside to a loss of a loved one. And, you know, loss, again, could also be losing to someone if they have Alzheimer's or dementia and they don't remember who you are. Loss could be like my clients with spinal or brain injury. Where they're never going to be the same and they have to grieve their old identity and their old self. And for a lot of us through this time, this pandemic, we're going to leave with a different normal. Your business might go out of business, whether you owned it or you were an employee, or the way you did business is going to change, or you might end up losing certain things, houses, apartments, cars, because of the economy when this is done. So we really need to have that support system. So again, everything we're talking about today is so important for just everyday life for the rest of our lives because we're always going to have change. So make sure you have that socialization, your community, make sure you're still doing some things that are fun, self-care. And an important question for self-care or fun could be, how do you define happiness? Really important question is, how do you define it? what does it look like? What does it feel like? And you know, maybe during this time that we have some time using it as a gift, you know, with this time to ask yourself the question, what are the top four or five things in my life that cultivate happiness for me, no matter what's going on? And that's the important key because, you know, I've had clients say to me, a lot of parents, you know, I'm happy when my kids are happy. And yes, of course, I'm happy when my daughter's happy. absolutely, but We're all going to go through empty nests. They're all going to have their own lives. They're going to move out for college. And we still have to find happiness here. So the same thing if you say happiness is your job. You're going to eventually retire. Things are going to shift. So it's thinking to yourself, what would cultivate happiness no matter what's going on in your life today? You know, like for me, it's animals. And I mean, my dog cultivates great happiness for me. But it could be anybody's dog. You know, I'm one of those people who goes out and I just want to pet everybody's dog. It doesn't matter whose dog it is. And animals do that for me. It might not be you, or for me, it's dogs. It might be cats or a horse or a bunny, whatever it is. But you want to think about what cultivates happiness. And then when you have that list of what cultivates happiness, then you want to ask yourself, Am I including those things into my daily life? Because you know, a lot of us. We're so busy and now with everything going on and our schedules and our routines are not normal and we're shifting and pivoting with, you know, the challenges and the changes of the life, we kind of forget about our own self-care, especially for women. We tend to put ourselves in the bottom of the priority list or we don't even put ourselves on there. So when you write the list of what makes you happy, then you want to ask yourself, did I schedule it into my daily week? And if you can schedule in a self-care activity every day, that's great. And those are really self-soothing activities, you know, hanging out with my dog, going for a walk, taking a hot bath, reading a book, whatever, you know, gives you comfort, that calms you, that self-soothes you. That's part of self-care. It's not all of self-care. But at a time like this, we need to make sure we have that. So if taking a hot bath or a hot shower is one of those self-care activities, make sure you're doing that every day. Take that bubble bath for 20 minutes. Read that book. (laughs) You know, whatever it is that works for you, but you want to include that because it's part of socialization. So we got community support, self-care activities or self-soothing activities, you want to call it, and making sure that's all in our toolbox or a toolkit that we can go in and grab when we need, whether it's this crisis or the next one. You know, Diane, I would submit to you that some people are going to be
0: challenged to, to, to think about what makes them happy because their lives have been so defined by making everyone else around them happy. And uh, that was a challenge that I had immediately after the accident, when my husband died next to me. And I was like, I had lived my life so much for everyone else. And all of a sudden now I had to find out what was going to work for me. And I was pretty lost about that for a while. I, I had to get some help, you know, help with a therapist and all of that. And on that, subject are there additional effective emotional tools that people can use
1: at this time of upheaval well you know great question and just to take a step back you know i did some research about 10 years ago when we were trying to find out what makes people happy and i have to tell you most people have no clue it seems like this very easy question like just to find happiness give me four or five things that make you happy and everybody answered pretty similar to what you said. They would say things like, I don't know, I'm so busy making everybody else happy. And I had one lady who said to me, she goes, I have four kids. I could tell you what makes every one of them happy. I could tell you what makes my spouse happy, my parents, my boss, and my best friend. I don't even remember because we spend so long, again, worrying about not just our jobs, but our families. And if we're in the sandwich generation, we're taking care of our kids and our parents, and we do forget. So you know, during this time, again, using this you know, break or pause that we're home, use this time to really do some soul searching of what cultivates happiness for you. What does it look like? What does an ideal day look like in a realistic term? So ideal day, not meaning I won lotto and I'm sitting on the beach in Cancun, but you know an ideal day, and that will shift from now when you're stuck home, to also an ideal day when I go back to having a sense of normalcy when I get in my car and I go back to work. What does you know an ideal day look like? Who would you spend it with? Where would you be? What would you wear? What would you eat? I mean, ask yourself these simple questions, and these should all be things that you can get. It's just, you know, really doing the soul searching and looking within. And again, it could take some time. And sometimes we have to think back to what made us happy before we were so concerned with our jobs and our kids and our mortgage bills. What really made you happy? So take that time to do that. Now for the emotional toolbox, which we should all have, which has a bunch of different tools in it. And I remember, Irene, you have said this to me, so I'm gonna use your words. We should give out a bunch of tools And you pick and choose what works for you because everybody's different. So, as we go over some of these tools, try them. Make it like a trial and error. See what works. If something doesn't feel right, it doesn't matter how much scientific backing is on it. If it doesn't work for you, pick something else. And that's okay. And it's okay also to do uh, use one of the tools and then two years later, don't want to use that tool and you want to use something else. There's no judgment, it's just what works best. you. So some of the tools that I always give out. The first one is really important I think for now. We need to have a morning routine no matter what. No matter if you're staying home now or you're you know you're one of the essential workers who's going out to work or you're now working from home or going to school from home. We still need a morning routine. Morning routines We need routine, schedule, consistency to have that sense of normalcy. Even though it's a different normal, we still need that. And we talk about that in grieving, right? We all still have to have that new normal. So I want everybody to have that routine, whatever it is, whether it's making your bed, whether it's eating a certain breakfast at a certain time, whether it's exercising in the morning, meditation, whatever it is. And one of my suggestions is even if you're working from home, And you don't have to put your suit and tie on and get in the car, still get out of your pajamas. Make your bed, even if you go into jeans and a t shirt or a sweatshirt, switch it up a little, take the shower, you know, really make sure you're still feeling good. So, morning routine is really important. And the morning routine can involve a few emotional tools that you can use in the morning or whenever you'd like. So, one of the first things I have my clients do is when they wake up in the morning, we call it the magic question. And this was uh, a magic question that was by a famous cardiologist. I'm blanking on his name, and it'll hopefully come up. But what he realized is when we start our day, we could start our day on a positive note, you know, on kind of getting up on a positive foot forward. And one of the best ways to do that is to start the day with this question. So before you even get out of bed, you can make this part of your morning routine. You just want to ask yourself, How can I make this a great day? Now, I don't want you to answer it because if you try to answer it in your typical subconscious autopilot mind, you're gonna go, oh, I'm home again. Oh my God, my kids are home again. You know, or I don't have a job. This is gonna be a long, boring day. I don't want you to answer it on your typical autopilot. I just want you to put the question out there and be open for what comes. Because what happens is when you ask yourself that question and you just put it out to the universe or the source or God or whatever word you want to use, your brain will start trying to figure it out on its own. And you'll get some ideas that come up to you. But don't try to force it. Just ask yourself, how can I make this a great day? And let it flow, whatever comes. Now, for some people in the morning, they'll meditate. For me, I start off by meditating. So, meditation is a really important tool. Now, meditation and mindfulness, I'm gonna put it using both. Mindfulness is being completely awake and aware to everything around you, your environment, but it's also being awake and aware to all the thoughts in your head, that whole um, autopilot, that download, the script that goes on all all day. We all have, you know, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day so your mind never stops. I wish we had that Staples, like stop button, but we don't. So that would be good. So being wake and aware. And for most of us, just so you know, at least half of those thoughts are negative. So we really want to switch that up a little. And meditation will do that. Now, meditation is the intentional practice of mindfulness. So if you don't want to meditate, I'll get into other ways. I like meditating. And if you're a new person. If you're really new on meditating, my suggestion is only to try to do two to three minutes, three to four minutes. You don't need a lot. Now, the way I tell my clients who are new to it or just want to use it very simply is just go on YouTube and click in guided meditations or use an app. They're free inside timer, calm, headspace. They all have paid subscriptions but you can do the free and get plenty or YouTube is completely free because I know you know right now people are struggling with money so we're giving out as much free Um, put in your headphones and just listen to a guided meditation and they'll talk you through it now if you don't want a guided meditation you could also just listen to nature sounds you don't have to listen to a guided you could put in and listen to rain a thunderstorm a waterfall the beach whatever you like. Some people will just sit in bed and do deep breathing. That's fine as well. Other people will say that they sit either if the weather's nice outside for five minutes to get the nature and listen, using all their physical senses as a meditation. If it's not nice out, you can put your chair right by the window and look outside and use your physical senses. What do you notice? You know, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? We can do that as well. So however you want your morning to do. Now for other people, they'd rather do a mindfulness activity so they don't meditate. They get out of bed and they go for a quick walk. And that could be in your house or outside your house, whatever you know you can do with the weather. But just so you know, the best way to get mindfulness is walking. So if you don't want to meditate, if you don't like to sit still, I've had clients who say that meditation makes them more anxious, then go for a walk. But I do want you to know, never judge. There is no right or wrong with meditation or mindfulness. It's just being in the moment. And every time we do an activity that's mindful, we meditate, we reduce our stress hormone cortisol, we lower our blood pressure, we reduce chronic pain, it calms us and it brings us to the here and now, as well as helps us sleep better. There is no side effects of it. I have to say the worst side effect somebody has told me for meditation is they fell asleep. So if you fall asleep, then you needed it. Again, no right or wrong, so don't judge it. So when you wake up, maybe you meditate, maybe you deep breathe, maybe you grab a cup of coffee and sit out in nature or by the window, or maybe you go for a walk. Those are all mindfulness activities, but they bring us to the here and now and reduce that stress. And that's way more important than putting the news on or going on your social media feed getting more anxiety and more fear. So let's start the day right. That's your morning routine. Then you want to eat a healthy breakfast, and then you can go to school or work, you know, right into your office or on your computer, however you're doing it. But keep up that morning routine. So important. Now, with meditation, too, just wanted to give one way, one technique, if anybody needs. You're feeling anxious. You're feeling nervous, stressed. Is a very simple technique, and I could just teach it if you don't mind, Irene. Can I just teach you a quick little? I'd love you to. Okay, so this is very quick. It's called the one, two, three technique, and it's called X. it's just very simple. And when we're nervous or stressed, we'll still remember it because it's one, two, three. You know, we all learned how to count numbers one, two, three, so it just sticks in our head. And very quick way all you want to do is you want to take a deep breath in through your nose. For a count of three. You want to hold for a count of three. And then you want to exhale through your mouth for a count of three. Very simple. So you're just inhaling through your nose for a count of three, hold for a count of three, exhale through your mouth for a count of three. And what it does is to get rid of your physical symptoms. And you can do it as much as you want. And it's perfect. If you only do a count of two or four, because you forget, it's not going to matter. It just Brings you back into the here and now and reduces like the the heart racing or the chest feeling heavy or the globus in your throat from anxiety and fear or nervousness. So you could even use it before a test or, you know, if you have to public speak, you can use it any time. And there's really great ways to deep breathe. And if you take a yoga class or, you know, meditation, they teach different ways. But what we notice is when people are stressed and anxiety, they don't remember to do inhale for six, hold your nose, count for eight. We don't remember that, but we all remember one, two, three. So you can use that as a way, even if it's in the middle of the day and you need a two minute break, close your eyes, do some deep breathing. If you're having a really stressful day, when you exhale through your mouth, exhale as loud as you can, you know, really blow out all that hot air. You'll hear it. You'll be like, <sighs> and if you want to add to it, visualize that you're releasing all the negativity or the hot air. Whatever it is, visualize it and let it go. And you can do that for a minute or two and just kind of relax. And another way of doing it, again, very simply, just one more mindfulness technique. Go is. And we used to teach this for corporate people because you could do it just sitting in your cubicle. You don't need any special area, again. Um, when you're sitting, all you want to do is take a few deep breaths in. You could do the one, two, three. Just take a few of them. Keep your eyes shut. And then counting at 50 in your head, just want to count very slowly backwards. And it could be that you start with 50, 30, whatever you want. You're just counting backwards very slowly, like 50, 49, 48. And what that does is when you're counting backwards, you're not thinking of anything else. And that's usually people's biggest problems with meditation is that their mind can't sit still. And, you know, it goes to every place else. But when you're counting, you don't you don't think of anything else. And what happens is it relaxes you. And then you eventually zone out for about a minute or two until something gets your attention. That so sounds you, like a good sleep methodology Yes, to me too. Yes, you could do it definitely falling asleep. I learned it in graduate school 20 years ago when meditation wasn't even that big. It was actually 22 years ago. And it was the best thing I did because I was one of those people that say, I can't clear my mind. But the minute I started counting backwards, I would just zone out and my mind would be clear. You know, some people use a mantra, you know, where you hear um, but I've had a lot of clients who say they they don't like the um. So counting backwards is very quick and it'll just keep you there for a few minutes. So it's not going to take away from work or school. And just so you know, when we get those little pauses and those mindfulness breaks, We become more creative and productive. So it actually makes you better at work or school to take those five minute breaks here and there. And even though you're not in the office, you're not taking a 15 minute break or a lunch break per se, still take those few minute breaks, whether it's a meditation break, a walking break, going to get a glass of water, walking outside, do all of that. So have your morning routine, decide how you want to add mindfulness into your life, whether it's meditation. Whether it's guided meditations, whether it's nature, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's doing one of the, one of those deep breathing or your own deep breathing, or it's taking you know a, a yoga class, exercise, any type of exercise, not just walking, is a form of med- you know mindfulness. So again, you know we're home, we're stuck. Your gyms are closed. You know the studios are closed. YouTube has a bunch of great free videos. And also, if you have a membership at a gym or a studio, they are offering all online free classes. So you can take a break every day and do anything from yoga to Pilates to weight training to walking. I mean, they have walking videos. So if you can't go outside, like today's cloudy here in the New York, New Jersey area, it's raining. You don't want to go outside today? Put on a walking video if that's what you can do, depending on, you know, obviously your health. And the, you know, where you live and with safety concerns nowadays, whatever you feel more comfortable with. But those are all great tips and tools. And one other one to add in, and a great morning tool that I have, some of my clients love doing this, is we call it the morning dump. And no, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> you don't know, that one. <laughs> all it is, is wake up and before you even get out of bed you keep a journal next to your bed. And again, this is a writing technique. So if you don't like writing, that's fine. You don't have to do this one. But if you like writing, this is perfect. It's a journal writing and it's called free writing. And all it means is you take your journal and with your pen and pen, and you just write out whatever is on your mind. You want to release it and get it all off. Because what happens is There's nothing wrong with having stress. We're always going to have stress. We can't have a stress-free life. There's even positive stress. You know, the stress that motivates you, that makes you want to try harder. But what makes stress so dangerous is internalizing it and pushing it down and stuffing it in. That's not healthy. So even if you just write it out and get it all out and there's no, it's a free write. There's no judgment. There's no grammar check. There's no spell check. If you want, you can save it and write in a journal, or you can rip it up every day and throw it away. Some of my clients will say they write in it every day, all their negativity, and then they rip it up, or they put it in a shredder or their fireplace as a symbolizing of letting go of all the negativity and throwing it away. Right. However you want to use it. But journal writing, again, is another form of mindfulness. But and we know you know journal writing is so therapeutic, but if you don't like journal writing and you know you're not going to keep to that practice, don't do it. Pick what works for you. And that's just a few different ones. You got a few different ways, and there's some great morning ones in there. You know, and again, if you don't want to meditate, do a journal write instead. That works just as well. But always start with that magic question. Pick one of those mindfulness activities, journal writing, walking, deep breathing, meditation, nature, whatever you want. Get out of bed, make your bed, change, take a shower if you normally take a shower in the morning, eat a healthy breakfast, and then go on and do what you need to do for the day. Those are such positive suggestions because I'm sure a lot of people right now are
0: waking up and saying, oh my God, I'm so depressed and what am I going to do today and this is awful. And instead, you're, you're really guiding them to wake up and say, okay, how am I going to use this time and, and how am I going to handle this in a positive way and be self-loving? Which is so important. So, also self, also very important is to take a break to allow a minute for our sponsors who keep this podcast free for our listeners. So, Diane, we'll be right back. We're back. Thanks for tuning in to my transformative interview with Diane Lang. Let's continue on with this question, Diane. What are we've kind of touched on it, but are there more positive ways people can deal with feelings of loneliness and isolation?
1: Okay, so again, when we're in situations like this and we are isolated naturally just because of the virus, um, it does lead to isolation, loneliness can lead to depression. So it's really important for everybody who's listening to check on everybody, not even just, you know, we always say check on the people who are older, check on everybody. There's a lot of people who are living alone and they're stuck home alone. And a phone call can make all the difference in the world. So it's really important. Now, if you feel that you don't have much of a community and you feel isolated, then I want you to join a community. And there are some really great communities. Now, right now we're isolated, so you might have to find your community virtually. And just you know, a lot of the churches and temples are offering services and group prayers. And I had a client say to me the other day that. You know, she lives alone. Her spouse died a few years ago and her kids don't live near her and she can't get to them now because she doesn't want to fly. You know, it's too late. She's afraid to fly. And I totally respect and understand that. So she actually called her temple because she's not very good on, you know, the internet and they actually walked her through how to do Zoom and there are, they will walk you through it. And she said to me, oh, my God, I got to see everybody's faces. Because when you're on Zoom, you know, you have the little boxes. Even though everybody's little, you get to have that connection. So even if you're stuck home right now and your only way of connecting is either by phone or Zoom or Skype or FaceTime, wherever you feel the most comfortable, try to do it at least once a day to just connect with other people. And for us, you know, one thing I've noticed is, When people are very stressed out, anxious, fearful, depressed, at a time like this, it makes people get more self-absorbed because they're so scared and they're so stuck in their own pain and misery that they don't see outside themselves. And totally understandable and their feelings are valid to feel anxious, fearful, scared, depressed, sad. There's a lot out there going on. But what happens is when we get stuck like that, we don't check on other people. And we also become more depressed because we isolate ourselves. And this is one thing that really works scientifically. Every time we help somebody else, we do a random act of kindness, pay it forward, whatever word you want to use. It's a win-win situation. So every time I do an act of kindness for somebody, I get a boost of happiness Mm -hmm. that lasts like 24 to 72 hours. The person I did the act of kindness for feels the same exact way. So it's a win-win. It's also boost our self-esteem just by doing a random act of kindness. And the best part is it's contagious. So if all I do today is I text, what I'm doing is I have like a few groups of friends. I have two different groups and a family text where we all kind of check on each other every day or at least every other day. Even if I just send out three texts to the different groups every morning, hey, thinking of you, how are you, how is everybody doing, just checking in, that makes them want to do the same thing to other people because it's so contagious. So it's really important if you're feeling isolated, help somebody else. And I know it's hard because you have to reach outside yourself. And again, especially if we have any mental illness, so anybody who already has an anxiety disorder or clinical depression or panic disorder, it's even harder might have to push yourself outside that comfort zone, but we really need to do that. And just check in. Checking in with somebody else will make you feel good and make them feel good. And then they'll end up checking up with somebody else. And it's kind of one of those things. I always think if everybody did one act of kindness a day, just one, we could shift the whole world. Imagine if everybody just checked on one other person every day. I can totally
0: they- identify with that. I can totally right. identify with that. It's so important. It and is. I'm thinking that some people who may be naturally shy during this time, it's actually where they might not personally reach out to someone because they feel shy. But now in the, in the kind of confines of their own home, it might make them enable them to be a little braver because they're online and they're checking it out. And um, maybe they feel a little more safe
1: doing that. They could. And if you don't feel safe because you are introverted and shy or an empath, one of the things to think about is you can check on someone through email or text where there is no face to face. If you're more comfortable that way or you're afraid of rejection, you know, you've been hurt, reach out slowly. You know, we're not saying to jump right in and give somebody a call, but even just sending a text, it's really, it'll make you feel better and it'll make the other person feel better. And it breaks us out of that cycle. And one of the other things, too, is we, you know, we are happier when we have more creativity and more variety. And right now, we're not really having that because we're stuck home. You know, we can't do a lot. So every day, you want to ask yourself, what is one new thing I can do today? And what that does is every time you do something new, you step outside your comfort zone. So you can, you can word it however you want. Like, how can I challenge myself today? um what's one new thing i could do how can i step outside my comfort zone but every time you step you step outside your comfort zone you grow and expand you know for most of us again we don't like change so we stay in our comfort zones we go the grass is green here and even if it's not even if the grass is all dead we feel more comfortable there it's what we're used to even if it's miserable people say but at least i know what to expect or how to handle it but instead if you do one new thing you get more variety you take that risk, and that makes us happier. So that risk could be very simple, like you said, if you're shy or introverted, sending out a text or emailing. It could be learning. For a lot of us, I don't know about you, I wasn't really using Zoom. I was not a Zoom user. I did. I had to do a few classes last week online, and just doing that, I got at the end of the day, I'm like, yes, I did it. You know, I, I learned Zoom. I got it down. I did it. I felt proud, it might be you're learning PayPal or Venmo or how to do your banking online. Whatever it is, maybe you're learning a new language, you're cooking and you don't cook normally, you're trying a new recipe, you tried a new food. It could be that simple. But every time we do something new, it creates the momentum that we're not so afraid of change. And that's so important. And when we're back to normal, where we're seeing each other outside of the houses, There's also a great way if you don't have much of a community to meet a community. It's not a dating website at all. We're not talking about dating. Date, have fun, but this is just to meet people socially. It's called meetup and meetup.com is a great way for people to reach out, especially if you move to a new area and you don't know anybody or, you know, just lost your loved one and you're feeling kind of trapped in to reach out and try these things. They're groups. That are in your area and that you can go, whether it could be a Panera, where they're all playing cards or sewing, you know, knitting, or it could be trying a new language, could be joining a bike group where they all go biking or hiking. And if you don't see what you want on there, like a book club or something, you can form your own. But it's very safe because you only meet in public. It's not a dating website, and there's no pressure. Like I have a client who joined a group because she wanted to do Sunday brunches. That was her thing. She wanted to go do Sunday brunches. And nobody wanted to go for whatever the reason. Some people go to church, you know, other people just didn't have the money, whatever it is. So she formed a, a, a group online where they all met up once a month at a different restaurant. Some people she became good friends with. Some people she's just friends with when they meet up. Other times it's brand new people, but it makes for such interesting conversation, meeting new people. You're taking risks, getting that creativity and variety, and you're getting out there and socializing. What a great idea. But I have a question
0: for you. What about people who are listening to all of this and they're saying, man, I don't give a darn what she's saying? This whole situation has me mad. I'm frustrated. And I resent this. And I am, I it do should not have to put up with this. Okay, how do they release those feelings if they're inclined to wanna get through this without exploding inside
1: their homes? <laughs> well- I think a lot of people are feeling like that. You're hitting a nerve. So this is the thing. It's okay to feel those emotions. We call them negative emotions, but I hate saying they're negative because they're just normal emotions. Anger, hurt, sadness, fear, confusion. You feel them with any change or transition. So one, I want you to feel them. Again, I don't want you to internalize them. I don't want you to push them down. Just remember this phrase. You need to feel it to heal it very important. So I want you to feel those emotions, whatever comes up. And a lot of them are secondary emotions like anger. It's a secondary. Underneath anger is a whole lot of fear. You know, so you need to feel everything. Once you feel it, you can get to the other side. But in a situation like this, where we have no control of the outcome at this moment, right? We don't know when we're going to be out of social, I'm actually not going to use social, out of physical isolation. We don't know when the virus will flatten the curve that we can come back out and we don't know what it's gonna look like economy-wise when this is done, right? We don't have any control, that's all uncertain. Then the only control you actually do have is to let go of the fight and accept where you are at this moment. And what I mean is when I say let go and accept, I don't mean give up, that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is let go of the resistance. And what the resistance is, is the stress. Resistance is fighting something you have no control over. So the more angry you get, the more you fight it, the more stressed and anxious you get. Because what you resist persists, that's it. So think of resistance equals stress. So once I let go of all of that and I stop trying to control it and fight it, I accept where I am. All that does is mean I'm accepting where I am at this moment, not two weeks from now, not two months from now, I'm just totally accepting it that means I can actually just breathe. I've let go of the resistance, distress, the I can breathe, and I can stay here for a little bit. That might be a day, might be two weeks, I don't know what it's gonna be, everybody you know, heals and grieves differently. But you let go and accept, and from there, when you actually have truly let go and you've accepted, you start having clarity. You start seeing things from a place of love, not fear. Because when we react or make choices and decisions based on fear, that means they're based on ego, impulsivity, reacting and responding without thinking, anger, fear, and those are never decisions that we ultimately, you know, really think are good at the end. And then we have all that regret for doing it, for jumping or that guilt. So stop that. Just let go and accept and take a few days, weeks, whatever it is to really pause and accept. And then let the ideas flow back into you of what you need to do. But at that time you'll have clarity and a time to really, you know, think it through without fear. And that's really important because we don't have control. Remember, the only things we have control over is ourselves and how we react and respond. We don't have control. I want to
0: repeat that. That is so important for people to know because I learned that after the accident when I when mm-hmm. my husband died next to me. I learned that the only thing I had control over was my attitude, how I decided to handle things. And people, uh, this control, control to
1: me is an illusion. It is. It's, you know what, that's why people like anger, because anger gives you this false sense of control. When you're sad, you feel hopeless and helpless. But when you're angry, you feel like you're in charge. It's false. It's not true. It's an illusion. It's a false sense of control. So you want to let that go. Just let go and accept. And if you have a religious or a spiritual component behind you, you could think of asking for help, too, from God, the universe, the source. It doesn't have to be religious. You don't have to be part of a temple or church. You know, it could just be that you believe in a higher power. And if that's the case, when you're accepting, ask for help. You know, Say, I'm having a hard time. Ask for guidance and help. That makes some people really add to that process of letting go and accepting. And we know with grieving and loss, it's such a really important factor. And this is the best part. With positive psychology, they talk about religion and spirituality, which we don't in regular, you know, going to grad school, we never really talked about it. It's not a big factor in it. But for positive psychology, we know the happiest people have either a strong religious or spiritual or both component in their lives. It gives us comfort. It makes us want to do the best, you know, and be the best. It makes us want to help others. It gives us a comfort, like you said, when you lose people, knowing that there's something else on the other side. But it also just helps us to cultivate happiness in times like this and to feel that we're not alone and asking for guidance. So, you know, if you don't feel that way, that's fine too. Then just still let go of the resistance and the fight and the stress, accept where you are and let the clarity kind of, kind of, you know, clear the fog so we can think differently about a situation. But either way, we do need to let go and accept because the control part is just hurting you. Just hurting you. That's all. Let me
0: ask you another question. How can people best
1: handle? I have a few people who I know who
0: are dealing with forced separations. Either they're pursuing a romantic relationship and now all of a sudden they're forced they're and they were midstream and fully in love and now they're forced <laughs> into separation or i actually was talking with someone last night who is married she is stuck in one country he is stuck here in this country it may be two or three months before she sees him it's very hard to advice for people who are in these situations of how do they build or sustain a loving relationship
1: during a time like this and especially when they're so separated Well, again, it's going to have to be very similar. We're separated. And a lot of people are separated from their kids because they were away in college too far and they couldn't get back. So you want to think of this. You still want to be connected because for relationships to grow, there has to be connection. And distance can absolutely hurt a relationship. So my suggestion is you still want to talk every night and you still want to see each other at least once or twice a week on a Zoom date. Set up a date where you both eat dinner and have wine, and you do your normal, even though it's over Zoom or Skype. It does that's work. It's a great it's not, idea. I mean, it's not the same as being in person. I'm not saying that, but you we're do doing the best. You can raise and you can toast right. yeah. But it's, we're doing the best we can with what we had. And that's what you have to think of. Right now, the best we have is this. And you know, think about it. If this was 20 years ago, we would only have a phone. You know, we wouldn't even have this opportunity the way we do now. So use that opportunity and talk about your day. You know, we know dinner is the most important time for a family, you know, for a connection. Make sure that even if you're home alone and people you love are not near you, you can do dinner a few nights a week by Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, and still connect because dinner was never about the food. It was about the connection. So for your romantic. I love your oh. idea. Right, and if we're still talking and seeing each other, we still feel that connection. And sometimes it can be by phone, too. You know, you can switch it up, a little phone, a little Zoom. But you're staying connected connected and all that, and you're kind of
0: building while you're separated, but you're staying in touch. So I think it makes even the
1: physical connection when you get there even sweeter. Absolutely, and hopefully it won't be two or three months. Hopefully it'll just be like another month or so. But right, again, it's that uncertainty. We we don't know. But if you both are willing to make the commitment and work through the time, because again, this is a a very different situation. It's not like, you know, someone's not seeing you because they don't want to or they're choosing not to. This is a forced situation. So I think everybody has to take into consideration that everybody's doing the best they can at the moment and -hmm. remember that. Right. Doing the best we can. Say that again? I'm sorry, I I didn't No, I was just saying, just remember, we're all doing the best we can, you know, what we have at this moment. No judgment.
0: You're just doing doing the best you can. What are the sustainable happiness habits that are effective, both, we've touched on them, both now and after it ends.
1: So, sure, random acts of kindness was one. Meditation is another one, but there's another big one, and this is a nightly routine. And I have my clients do this all the time. I do them every night is right before bed, you know, because right before bed is when we start analyzing our day, right? Okay. You know, we're tired. Us awake before we go to sleep. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, we're sitting in bed, we're comfortable. Even if our bodies are already sleeping and you, know, you get that tingling sensation, right. the brain is going. And we evaluate our day. And it's usually what we do is we pick out the bad, right? You know, we could have a 99% of our day was great, 1% was bad, and we focus on the 1%. That's how we work, it's our negative bias. So instead, what I want you to do, and this is a form of mindfulness as well, but I have them do it at night, because again, whatever you're thinking about, about 10 to 15 minutes before you go to bed, affects how you sleep, if you sleep, and what mood you wake up in the morning, and even what dreams you have. So I don't want anybody watching the news at night No news at night, no shows that make any fear or anxiety provoking. Instead, I want you to ask yourself this question. You can write it, say it out loud, you can say it in your head, however you want to do it, but I want you to ask yourself, what are two to three things I'm grateful for that happened today? Now, it's important that you look through your day because in general, if we just ask you what you're grateful for every day, we'll get the same things. The sun came out, I'm healthy, I'm whole. I have a roof over my head, I have a job, and those are all great, but after a few weeks, you get into what we call a gratitude rut, where it doesn't have as much value or meaning. But when I searched through my day for the little gifts and blessings and miracles, just the littles, so it could be, wow, you know, I, I can't go out for coffee, but I just made the best cup of coffee. I don't know why it's so good, but it is. Or it could be, he said it was gonna rain and it's now 60 degrees and the sun came out. Whatever it is, Whatever you're grateful for, I want you to notice it and pay attention to. Because happiness is a perspective. It's what you choose to look at. And normally, again, we'll evaluate our day and notice what we didn't do good, what we should have done good. But instead, you're going to just notice what you're grateful for. Now, gratitude is a positive emotion. It's a form of mindfulness, and it cultivates happiness. So there is so much out of it and it retrained your brain to go from negative to positive. So you're going to bed with good thoughts in your head. So that is one of the most important happiness habits every day. Now, there'll be some days you have 10 things you're grateful for that happen. There'll be other days, it's very hard to find one, but you could always find one, always. And I want you to find it, and especially in this time, of constant change and crisis, it's so important to notice what is good. So you want to do that. that. I was able to look at my child's face today. Absolutely. Or something that precious and simple. It is, it could be that simple that you learn Zoom and now I can have eye contact and I'm actually meeting Irene without actually meeting Irene. You know, it could be whatever you're grateful for. And if you want to combine it, I know we're going to run out of time, but I'm going to add these two together. They're both happiness habits at night. What are you grateful for that happened today? And then what are two to three things you did well today? Because they're different. Gratitude, I don't have much control over. The weather changed. I didn't hit traffic. Um, you know, whatever it is. I don't really, I've got to see my granddaughter's face, but I don't have as much control over it. But what I did well are the things I did. Maybe I worked out for that hour, even though I didn't want to. Maybe I reached out when I normally would isolate myself. Maybe I, you know, I learned something new today, or I read that book that I was always afraid and intimidated by. But what did you do well? Now, again, what I did well will change, retrain your brain. They're retraining your brain activities. But it also, every time you look through your day and you notice something you did well, again, even if you can only find one thing, it brings up the positive emotions of pride and accomplishment, which brings hope. And those are all positive emotions. And we always want to balance out our day. We are going to have negative emotions, anger, anxiety, fear, confusion, especially in times like this, just turn the news on and you're going to have those emotions. And you might just be having them because of your job situation, school, whatever it is. We need to balance out the negative emotions with positive emotions. So when we do gratitude, we do an act of kindness, just one a day. And then we look for what we did well and get that pride and accomplishment and hope and curiosity. We've just gotten about five or six positive emotions. And the more positive emotions we get in a day, the happier and healthier we are and the longer we live. We can live up to seven years longer just by having a daily diet of positive emotions. Wait a minute. Let's
0: say that again for everyone to listening because... People are listening and going, oh, this is not easy. And she's pumping all this happiness up my rear end. Listen, everybody. (laughs) Diane just said that this could increase your lifespan by seven happy years if you start to handle your life differently. And that's so enticing and very important. And is that what you call post-traumatic growth?
1: No, actually, into that? Well, you know, actually, it's part of positive psychology is like an umbrella for different, you know, there's positive parenting, positive education. There's also positive aging. And one of the factors to be aging positively, emotionally, is to have a daily diet of positive emotions. I think of it this way, you know how we used to have that, um, the FDA had a triangle for like how many Fruits and veggies and milk and dairy, you should eat in a day for physical health, right? For emotional health, we know that we need to have this daily diet or daily dose of positive emotions, which are love, joy, or happiness, whichever word you like better, gratitude, kindness, awe, and wonderment, hope, and inspiration, pride, curiosity. Interest, accomplishment, and there's more, but those are some of the main ones. If we can get a daily diet of as many as we can, that's when we can live up to seven years longer, healthier, or happier. And that's the science. That's amazing. So, adding those positive emotions will balance out the negative. And in a time like this, where we have so much negative emotions because of the situation, So important. And, you know, we can do love every day. Just telling someone you love them. If you can't hug them, a smile will do. People feel love just by the look in your eyes, smile on your face. We can all have what defines happiness for you, doing something that makes us happy. Awe and wonderment, doing anything in nature, your grandkids, your animals, all of that. If you're having a hard time finding hope and inspiration, put on a TED Talk or an inspirational video or movie. You can get it pride, accomplishment, curiosity, interest you can get by just learning something new and stepping outside your comfort zone. We can do this every day. And it's a mix of giving those kind of positive emotions and receiving them.
0: That so
1: fantastic! we really have these opportunities to be as happy and healthy as we can, even in turbulent times like today. I mean, people could look at this time and say, wow, uh, I had all this trauma. And through
0: this trauma, I heard this amazing podcast, and it taught me to think about it differently and get and 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 find happiness, which was amazing and Now the pandemic is over, and I have a whole different way to approach my life, and I know I'm
1: adding healthy years to my life. That's right now you have new coping skills and strategies or emotional toolbox to take with you for whatever's going to come your way absolutely so hold on to this information because. Yes, it's important during a pandemic, but it's going to be important with every you know situation that comes our way that is tough or traumatic or a tragedy. And again, we know because change is the only constant, unfortunately, we will all go through things, whether it's your own injury or illness, losing a loved one, losing a job, anything, even moving, retirement can be very traumatic for people. So even things that we think are good, like a move. You know, it might be this positive move. I'm moving into my dream house, but we know how stressful moving is. You know, so any kind of change, loss, transition can make us feel that way. But we have abilities, strategies, tools to use to make it the best we can be. And to change and have a positive attitude is so important because, again, it's how you choose to view it. You know, the first few days we went into this pandemic, I I will fully admit, first two to three days, I was panicked. I was stressed. Um, it changed everything. I'm a speaker. I, you know, I lost 80% of my business in one day. Um, and it kept just dragging on, you know, now I don't have speaking events until the summer. Um, it switched how I had to work with clients and the workshops now had to be put online and I had to learn new technology. My daughter was now going to be home. All of these changes plus the fear of the illness. And I went into that panic mode and then I made a choice. It's a choice. And I said, I don't have to do this. I feel I took a few days to really feel what I was feeling and then I made a choice and a commitment to myself that I was going to do everything I could and I know for me working out is a big tool meditation's a big tool gratitude I do gratitude every day for about 8 years now since I got sick big tool and I started using everything on a regular daily basis and what a shift I I really have that resilient attitude, and we can all be more resilient. And remember, the happier you are, the more resilient you naturally are. That's another one
0: to emphasize. The happier you are, the more resilient you are. And that's what we need.
1: We're going to have these bad times. It's the resiliency that makes us grow and expand. So even if all you get out of this changing time is that you grew, that you learned, that you made some changes, then you got a big gift out of this time. Absolutely. And that, you're, that. Role
0: modeling, you're role modeling for your children and other people in your life who see you changing and saying, whoa, she's doing so much better. Or he's doing so much better. What is the secret? And all they did was change the way they
1: were thinking, which changed the way they were handling aspects of their lives. You know what, Irene, we can learn a lot from you because during this time, you're the light. We need people who are light, who can get through the darkness and show people there is a way out of the dark. So thank you for doing this wonderful show and helping people because the darkness is the changing times. The Darkness is when you lose a loved one or, you know, you lose your own identity to an, you know, an illness, an injury, a trauma. So, you know, it's important that we have people like you during these turbulent times. So keep up the good work. It's so needed. Thank you. I have two more questions, about three more
0: questions for you. And, um, I think they're really important. One is to please speak to our grief and rebirth listeners. And actually, hopefully there'll be many more listeners now who have time to sit and really listen to these wonderful uplifting episodes. Please speak to them about the importance of healing, which we'll need to do as a nation, as well as as a a planet when this pandemic crisis has passed. I mean, people are seeing this yeah. in a very short term, but I think this has larger
1: ramifications for all of us. Absolutely. We're going to have to heal individually and as a nation, kind of like after 9-11. You know, we had to learn to come together. And I think a big thing with healing is, one, knowing it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. The support of each other, being there for each other, and kindness. We really need to hold on to, have, to be kind, to be compassionate to other people during these hard times, being self-compassionate, which is a big part of self-care. We need to have that self-compassion, stop beating yourself up, stop feeling horrible because of a situation that's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And also remember this, healing and grieving are individual things, they look different for everybody. And everybody grieves differently and everybody heals at a different time and, you know, pace. So don't judge anybody. If we can get through this time and be kind to each other, compassionate to each other and lose the judgment, then we're really on a roll towards healing the whole world. Because that really is the biggest problem is we're not kind to each other. We judge each other, whether it's race, religion, gender, you know, Everything, even hair color. I mean, it goes down to we judge. And that all needs to stop. And if we can learn that, and my hope is that we could, because you know, after 9-11, we did. We unified, and especially in the New York area, because it was definitely hit here, probably Mm -hmm. the hardest because the obvious situation Mm -hmm. of where it was, the location. But I do know about a year later, people already kind of were forgetting about it and moving on. We need to really hold on to this lesson that Whether it's a virus, a natural disaster, an act of terrorism, or an illness, whatever it is that causes it, that we need to always be kind, considerate, compassionate to others, and to stop the judgment and to just heal as individuals and then heal together. And if we can do that, and prayer and meditation are some real big factors of that. So it's really important. Can you imagine? I think one of
0: the lessons that people could choose to learn. From this pandemic is that it does not discriminate as to your skin color, your income, nope. your you know uh, your hair color, your nails, um how much money you had in the bank, how much money you have in the bank, so what if we all come out of this and we are kinder and we are carrying more gratitude and we're holding on to those better emotions that we learned and ways to deal with happiness. Could you imagine it would be a sea change for this country, for the world uh, in so many
1: ways we all just gave up judging each other? It would be amazing. And you know what? Now that we all have to take this pause, I think we all have the time and we all know we need to. You know, when we're so busy and type A personalities and always on the go, we forget and we get wrapped up. And again, the anxiety and panic can have people wrapped up in their own pain and misery. We need to learn to step outside of that. You know, the happiest countries in the world, which is always like Finland and Denmark and Norway, they're always about community. United States is like number 18, I think, we're on the list. We're not a happy country. We're the richest, but we're not the happiest. We need to do better and we can. And this is the time to do better, be better.
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. And let's role model it for the people in our lives, even if we're communicating with them through Zoom or virtually or whatever. Right. Um, I can remember, and I speak to this often um, because our listeners know, I was in this tragic car accident and I lost my husband. And one of the things I thought of as they were pulling me out of the car was, I will get through this somehow because I have to role model for my son that you can get hit by a grenade in life and come out of it okay. And it was very difficult for me, and I went for healing modalities and all different things. But my son has said to me, Mom, there's been nothing worse than seeing you in total despair, and nothing better than seeing you be able to have joy again. That alone, for me, has been worth so much in what I went through and how I helped myself so that I could role model for those I love and for other people in my world. But for all of you out there who are saying, this is all wonderful, but I could never sustain this with what I'm living through or the people I'm living with right now or whatever. If they want to reach out to you for help, Diane, how do they get a hold of you? If they'd like to have a personal session, if they need personal support, if maybe you're going to be doing
1: group things or whatever, tell them how they can reach Diane Lynn. Sure. So you could go on my website which is just dl my initials dlcounseling.com and on the homepage you can sign up for my newsletter which is just a free newsletter where you get happiness sent to your mailbox every Monday. That That's one like option. A really good tool now. <laughs> and on the contact page is my email Which is just dlcounseling2014 at gmail.com. So you can email me or just go on my website, and there's a whole bunch of free tools on there. And if you sign up for the newsletter, I'm also giving away a free ebook, uh, which is the Four Tips to Cultivating Happiness. So sign up, get the free newsletter, free ebook. We have time to read now. It's only like 30 pages anyway. It's short, but it gives some information that we talked about in more detail today.
0: Would you say those four tips? culminate in finding joy in life? Would that be your tip for finding joy in life even during a pandemic?
1: You know, I think finding joy in life is going inside, letting go of everything around you, letting go of the control, and then using what works for you to move forward. And this is the one thing I'll leave it on. Remember this. We do have the ability to be happier than where we are today. So no matter where you are today, you do have the ability and also remember everything you're going through, whether it's this situation or a different situation in the future is always temporary. Everything is temporary. So, you know, right now it could feel horrible and totally understandable and feelings are valid, but it will change. So when things are good, enjoy it because they will go down. And when things are down, don't, stress too much because they will go back up. It is the way of the world. So hold on to that. It's temporary. Look at your past. You've been through situations and you've survived and thrived through them. So you will again. And you are The only thing in life
0: that doesn't change is that everything will change, right? Absolutely. 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 Diane, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you from my heart for all you are doing to help people heal, transform, and find happiness in their lives. I'm grateful we're able to do this today, and I'm sure it will help people to, grab, to positively gravitate towards good ways to cope with the grief and trauma they're experiencing right now, as well as let's all improve our lives and work on it so that we're in better shape after this is over. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on ireneweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again and again for joining us. And as I like to say, to be continued, many blessings. And bye for now.